Let me uh, tell you, we're in for a real treat this morning. Um, I'm very excited about our guest speaker, Dr. Dub Oliver, who is the president of Union University. And uh, Dr. Oliver uh, has been the president of Union University now for a, a little over a year or about a year and a half. And um, I could give you lots of his background. I'll give you a little bit of that. He's got what you would expect for somebody that's a president of university. He's got lots of academic credentials with degrees. He has his Ph.D. from um, Texas A&M University, uh, and he has also served in lots of capacities in higher education at Baylor University. Uh, before coming to Union, he was president of East Texas Baptist University. Uh, but he's also worked, and what I love about Dr. Oliver, and I said, talked about this in the first service, is he's worked kind of in real-life jobs, not just academic world jobs. And so, uh, for instance, while he was um, in Texas, in Fort Worth, he taught third grade at one point. Not many College presidents have taught third grade, but he taught third grade. He pastored bivocationally. Uh, he'll tell you a little bit about that in a moment. He um, served in the Air Force. He's done other things besides just be an academic world and kind of risen the ranks. But he is the president of Union University. And uh, I met Dr. Oliver a little over a year ago at the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, I was on campus as a student. Most of you in this room know how uh, much union means to me. If you've been around at all, if not, I'll be glad to talk to you about that. Tell you all about it, right? If you got any, uh, I talked to our high school students. I start putting the pressure on somewhere around ninth grade uh, for them about union, and so um, I, I love union. Union is a place that I would not be the the person I am today without it. Um, it was that union that I was free to kind of discover who I am and what I believed in a environment that wasn't going to attack my faith. It challenged my faith. It didn't attack my faith. It didn't cause me to. Uh, to, to run in a different direction. It didn't ridicule me for my faith, but it allowed me to ask the questions that a 18, 19, 20-year-old needs to ask in a safe kind of environment to ask those questions. I met Susan at Union. Uh, we're both graduates, and um, give praise to God for that. Uh, my life would be completely different without Union University. And uh, I, I still remember uh, I was determined when I was a junior in high school, I was not going to Union. I was not. It was too close to home. I didn't want, I didn't want to go to Union. I wanted to get away. I wanted to go away somewhere. So I made a list of schools I was going to visit, and my mom made me put Union on there. And I said, all right, okay, I'll, I'll visit. I met with a woman in our church. We got, I got partnered with a senior adult prayer partner in our church, and her name was Miss Sally Orr. Now, what many, some of you, I guess most of you don't know, Miss Sally Orr was married to Ms. Dr. Robert Orr, who had been the pastor of my home church for 25 years. And then it retired 20 years before this moment. And she prayed. She said, where are you going to school? And I said, well, I'm going to Carson Newman or Sanford or somewhere in Tennessee. And she said, no, you're not. You're going to Union. I said, well, that's not really on my list. She says, it is now. I'm going to pray you into Union. That's where you're going. And my mom, when I went home and told her that, she says, you're going to Union. It's Miss Sally's praying you're going to Union. I'm so thankful for what God. So I hold Union University very dear. And when the transition happened, I prayed deeply about what was happening at Union. And I'm convinced today, more so than even than I first met Dr. Oliver, that he is the exact right person for the job at Union University. 
Dr. Oliver is a leader when it comes to issues of religious freedom. Uh, he's had to take a stand with Union that you can go online and read about uh, about with the Supreme Court decision from this summer, uh, a stance that Union had to take, which wasn't necessarily popular in some places, but was the right decision for the reasons that he outlined in the time that he made the decision. Um, I, I'm privy because I teach at the Hendersonville campus of Union. I get faculty emails. And I'm encouraged always in the way that he leads through that, even in that method, even though I'm not on the campus at Jackson. Um, but he's just a man of God who seeks to do what God wants him to do at this time. Uh, this past week, I was uh, on the beach with my father-in-law, who also is a union graduate and a strong supporter of union for many, many years. And he said to me, we were sitting there talking, he said, I have no doubt. He said, God has always seemed to bring to Union University the right man at the right time. I have no doubt that Dr. Dub Oliver is the exact right person for such a time as this. And so I'm excited for you to hear from him today. He's going to bring a message to you. Would you welcome Dr. Oliver as he comes and speaks to us today? That was so nice, wasn't it? Wow. I hope I can live up to that. Amen? You do too. And let me uh, offer a word of prayer as we begin. Would you join me? Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to gather in your house, to worship you, to sing praises, Lord, to to even as we just sang, Lord, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere, Lord. We want you to, to move on us, move in us. Indeed, as Lyle has prayed, that our hearts would be open to the message that you have for us, Lord. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please open them or turn them on and get to Matthew chapter 14, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. I'd just like to ask you, um, when you get to Matthew chapter 14, if you would just stand in honor of God's word where you are, that way I'll know everybody is is with me, with us, ready to go? Okay, so we're going to in Matthew 14, a passage that is, I'm confident, familiar to, to most, if not all of you, a passage maybe that you've seen or read or heard many times, but I pray that God will give us a fresh understanding of it this morning. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 13. Hear the word of God for the people of God this Lord's day. When Jesus heard what had happened, by the way, what had happened was that Herod had had John the Baptist beheaded. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. 
the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. And now may God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. I am grateful to be here. Thanks uh, very much to Lyle for the opportunity to, to be with you, to share with you this morning in service. And, and on behalf of all of us at Union, let me express my appreciation to, to you as members of this church for your faithful support of Union through the years, for your prayers for us. Uh, I want to encourage you to do that, to continue to pray for Union, for, for some of you attending Union. I know we have some Union alums uh, here today. We're very grateful for that. We have some Union students who are here today, which we're super grateful for that. And I hope we have some future Union students who are here today. A lot of folks who have sent their kids to Union and grandkids to Union, we are grateful. And all of you, all of you as part of First Baptist Church Goodlitzville, support Union's mission through your gifts to the cooperative program. All of the gifts to the Tennessee Baptist Convention Cooperative Program, a portion of that comes to Union for us to, to carry on our mission of Christ-centered higher education here in Tennessee. And we are deeply, deeply grateful for that. And I just want to encourage you, uh, thankful for all of it, would love to have more students at, at Union, sending more people, referring people to Union, saying a good word about Union, giving to Union. All of that is wonderful, but the most important thing you can do for us is to pray for us. And I just want to ask you to covenant to pray for Union. Pray for our students, pray for our faculty, pray for our staff, even pray for the president. The Spirit calls on you to do so. Lord knows he needs it. Come on, yeah. I've been encouraging people as I've been traveling around Tennessee over the last year and a half that, that just to, to sort of take do it this way. If you're driving down the street on the interstate wherever and you see a union bumper sticker or a union mom sticker or a union license plate, something on the back of a car that says union, take that as a prompting from the Spirit to pray for union. Just stop right then and pray for Union. Or if you open up the newspaper and you read a story about Union, take that as a prompting to pray for Union. Or you're reading a magazine, same thing. Or if you're watching the television set and something comes on about Union, just take that as a prompting to pray for Union. And if you don't know what to pray, pray with us what we're praying this year. We're praying a verse of Scripture together this year. We're praying Joshua 1, 9, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, which reminds us, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9. Just encourage you, pray, pray that we would know the truth of that scripture. Pray that we would live that scripture faithfully as we go about our work. But I really would encourage you, hope you will, and ask you to pray for you. And there, this is a challenging time in our country in higher education, particularly in Christian higher education. And just to be very straightforward with you, there are people who would rather see institutions like union disappear, just go away. Um, because we lift high the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are people who are opposed to us uh, for that very reason. And so we need your prayers. We need you to faithfully support us, to, to intercede on our behalf, behalf, and we're asking you to do that. Mark Knoll, in his recent book, Jesus Christ and the Life of the Mind, reminds us the greatest hope for Christian learning in our age or in any age lies not primarily in heightened activity in better funding, or in strategizing for the task at hand, though all these matters play an important part. Rather, the great hope for Christian learning is to delve deeper into the Christian faith itself. And going deeper into the Christian faith means, in the end, learning more of Jesus Christ. I think this describes us well at Union. You see, we hope for and pray for and work for heightened activity. 
You know, we have a campus in Jackson, we have a campus in, in Germantown right outside of Memphis, and we have a campus here in Hendersonville right across the interstate from you. <clears throat> and that's part of our heightened activity, new programs all the time that we're trying to start so that we can be of service and we can attract more students. And we hope for and pray for better funding at Union, that people will see what we do and want Christ-centered higher education made available for more students and support us in our work. And I want to assure you, as a leader at Union, all of us are strategizing for the task at hand, trying to figure out how we can do more effectively what God has called us to do. But more than all of that, more than heightened activity, more than better funding, more than strategizing for the task at hand, what we want is we want to know Jesus and we want to make Jesus known. That's who we are at Union University. We want to know Jesus and make him known. Now, Lyle mentioned, Brother Lyle mentioned that I was a a teacher. Uh, I taught third grade. I know y'all are shocked about that. Got my start in education in third grade. I, God really made me to be a, a teacher. He made me to be an educator. That's, that's the gifting that he's given me. And I, I love teaching. I had an opportunity to teach when I was at Texas A&M University where I got my first, uh, had my first professional position in higher education. And then for the 17 years I was at Baylor, I taught uh, the whole time that I was there. And then when I was at East Texas Baptist University, I had the chance to teach. And even when I was interviewing with the the search committee and the board of trustees at Union, I said, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm an educator, I have to teach, and so I want that to be something that, that you understand about me. And they're like, that's fine, you can teach all you want, all you can. And uh, I've had a chance to teach already at Union, I love to teach. Those of you who are educators, any of y'all educators in here, some of you, all right, there you go, good group. You know there's something special about teaching, right? Whether you're teaching a Sunday school class, those of you who teach Sunday school class, or whether you're teaching K-12 or college, there's something special about the, the relationship between a teacher and his students or her students. And I love that. In college, we have this great thing that we call course evaluations. At the end of the semesters, we send out course evaluations to the students. Students love this. Students don't call them course evaluations. They call them faculty evaluations. And students love it because at the end of the semester, like after all the tests have been, papers have been turned in, they get the last word on the professor, you know? And so sometimes I'll hear students say, well, I'm really going to let him have it on the faculty evaluation. Like, you go. (laughs) I was reading my course evaluations a few semesters back and, and, uh, I feel like, you know, I'm a pretty good teacher, you know, so I'm reading my course evaluations. It used to be all um, paper and pencil. Now it's all electronic, of course, all Internet-based. But you can sort of imagine the front of this sheet of paper. It has like a statement, and then you bubble in your response. So the statement might be like, um, uh, what did you think of this professor? And their responses were like, he was super-duper great. He was really good. Average, not so much. I would never, ever take him again, you know filling in the bubbles. And so they sheeted things like that, and then you flip it over, and there were three questions. The first question was, what did you enjoy most about this class? And then what could the professor do to improve? And then other things. You can sort of picture that on the back of a page, right? Three questions, open-ended, free response. Students write whatever they want. So I'm going through my evaluations. I'm reading through the front, and I am turning them over and reading what people say on the back. And I came across a course evaluation that literally stopped me in my tracks. Because a student had written on this course evaluation, if I only had an hour left to live, I'd want to spend it in Dr. Oliver's class. I know, right? Wow. I was like, wow. 
wow, did I just read that right? And like immediately, you know, sort of the pride welled up in me. It's like, I, I thought I was good, but I'm really good, you know? This is awesome. In fact, I'm going to take it to the dean right now so he can read it, you know? I can remind him how lucky he is to have me teaching. <laughs> and then I finished reading the statement. It started, if I only had an hour left to live, I'd want to live it in Dr. Oliver's class because every minute in his class feels like a year in real life. (laughs) Oh, well. Easy come, easy go. I look forward to the next 25 years with you. Some of you will get that in a second. Listen, I know you're busy. I know that there's a lot of things going on. And even even today, I know you, like like I did, drove here today saying, Lord, I want to hear a message from you. I want to meet with you, Lord. We're going into the house of the Lord. You had, you had some sense of that. And even as you come in here sort of desiring to hear what the Lord has for you, there are so many things that are competing for your attention, things that are... That are, that are left to do today, things maybe that are waiting for work at you tomorrow, things that are, are, are troubling your spirit, maybe even the Titans game, I don't know. Maybe there's stuff that's on your mind, right? And so, so I want, just in our time together, I want to try to focus your attention. I want to try to, 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 to get us together in three simple things. I want to do three simple things in the time that we have left. I want to share one verse of Scripture with you. I want to tell you one story, and I want to ask you one question. Just three things, really quickly. One verse of Scripture, one story, and one question. Now, some of the students at Union, you know, if you were to ask them, does Dr. Dub always speak this way? They'd be like, yeah, he does a lot. And I do because I know this. I know that in the time we have left this morning, you can memorize one verse of Scripture. You can. You can memorize one verse of Scripture. And if you do nothing else today but memorize one verse of Scripture, that would be incredibly valuable to you. You know, you didn't have to look it up in your Bible. You didn't have to go on Bible Gateway. You didn't have to call up your app or look through your phone. You just immediately call it from your mind to your heart or your heart to your mind. Wouldn't that be incredible? You can do that. You can memorize one verse of Scripture today, and I want to encourage you to do that. I know this. I know that Jesus used stories to help us understand the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Jesus used stories to help us understand the kingdom of God. And I want to share a story with you from my own life that helped me understand the kingdom of God and His glory. And then I know this. I know that the question relates well to the story and the verse of Scripture. By God's grace, there will be a question that sticks with you, that you'll keep asking yourself, and the Spirit will keep um, asking you over the months and by his grace even years ahead so in the time we have left this morning just those three things just those three things real quickly one verse of scripture one story one question you ready first the scripture according to rabbinic tradition every verse of sacred scripture has 70 faces and 600,000 meanings I love that. Let me say that again. According to rabbinic tradition, every verse of sacred scripture has 70 faces and 600,000 meanings. Now, we're Baptists, so we say it different than the rabbis, right? We say it this way. God's word is alive. God's word is dynamic. God's word is beautiful. God's word is fresh. God's word is holy. God's word is righteous. Can I get an amen on any of this? Amen. God's word is amazing. God's word is glorious. God's word is more beautiful than anything I've ever seen. Now, we have a daughter, and she's engaged recently, and she's got this diamond that this boy bought for her. Still thinking through that. And it's beautiful, and a diamond is light like that, right? Seventy faces, 600,000 sparkles. 
God's Word is like that. I remember the first time I looked through a kaleidoscope. You remember the first time you looked through a kaleidoscope? Somebody put my little eye up to that telescopic end and I looked through the end of it and I saw at the end of the kaleidoscope all these beautiful shapes and colors. And I remember squealing with delight. I try not to squeal much anymore, you know. It's not becoming of a president to squeal. And I remember thinking, wow, that's so beautiful. And whoever was holding that up to my eye turned the end of it somehow slightly. And the shapes began to change. And the colors began to change. And they kept turning it on and on endlessly. It was beautiful. God's Word is that way. Amen? Endlessly beautiful. Endlessly glorious. If we'll but spend time in it. If we'll but spend time in it. Even the formula that the rabbis have, every verse of sacred scripture has 70 faces and 600,000 meanings. What that means is that you or I could spend 1,644 years plumbing the depths of what God has for us in but one verse of scripture. That's how valuable a treasure this is. Okay, already you say, what's the verse for today? The verse for today is Matthew fourteen seventeen. Which says, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Matthew fourteen seventeen. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Matthew fourteen seventeen. Just say it over and over in your mind. Even as I'm talking, Matthew fourteen seventeen. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And by the time you walk out of the door today, you'll have it memorized. You'll know anytime somebody says the feeding of the 5,000, you can say Matthew 14 and go to verse 17 and know exactly where that is. Matthew fourteen seventeen. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. They answer. One of the challenges of of reading God's word is that is that the words appear as black and white on a page. Now, some of you have red letter edition Bibles, right? And so Jesus' words are in red. But the most we have are black and white and red letters on a page. And so we read it as we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. But probably it sounded something more like, well, Jesus, as a matter of fact, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. They kind of probably had a little tone to them, right? And what we don't see in the Bible is we don't see the action that was happening, right? Because the action was probably that the disciples were, like your teenage children, rolling their eyes. Any of you have teenagers? Yeah, those hands went up fast. You know exactly what I mean by those eyes rolling, right? Students, you're like, I never roll my eyes. Uh-uh, no, don't ever do that. Your parents are like, oh, yes, you do. Right? They had, after all, the disciples that has urged Jesus to send them away. Right? Jesus, send these people away. Let them go into the towns. It's getting late. Let them go into the villages. Let them get themselves something to eat. Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Oh, really? Us? We have here... Five loaves of bread and two fish. Come on, man. Oh, Jesus. I don't know about you, but I find myself doing the exact same thing to Jesus. I think that my plan is better than his plan. This this miracle of Jesus appears in all four of the Gospels. You remember that, right? 
The one miracle of Jesus that appears in all four of the gospel accounts. That, in fact, in itself ought to make us sit up and take notice. What's happening here that God wants us to, to get about him? What, what is it here that he wants us to understand about him? Listen, all of you, all of you had moms or dads somewhere along the way that said to you, if a teacher repeats something, it's important. Right? You did. You know you did. And if a teacher writes something on the board and repeats it, you better get it down because it's going to be on the test. Listen, if something is repeated four times in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's important. You do not want to miss it. And so I just want to encourage you today, during your quiet time, devotional time, sometime during this week, study all four of these gospel accounts of the miracle of the feeding of 5,000. Study them. Just, just say this simple prayer before you start reading. Holy Spirit, help me know what you want me to know about God by reading this account. Just ask that simple prayer before you start reading and reading. Maybe you read one a day. Maybe you read them all one day. Study all of these scriptures. Of course, it's here in Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. Matthew 14, 13 through 21. You find it in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Mark 6, 30 through 44. Or Luke 9, 10 through 17. Luke 9, 10 through 17. Or John 6, John 6, 1 through 13. Take some time. Go and read these, each, each of them, and ask the Spirit to guide you, to help you understand what you need to know. For example, when we go to the Gospel of John, in the Gospel of John we read that it's a little boy, right, that has these five loaves and two fish, right? Somebody nod, yes. I remember that. The, the Gospel of John helps us understand that. And there's this one word in the Gospel of John that helps us understand that the fifteen to 20,000 people gathered there on that hillside are poor. Now, wait, you were like, wait, how did we get to 15,000? We were 5,000 men ago. Well, the Scripture says it was 5,000 men besides women and children. So if you assume that, that a lot of them brought their children, in fact, in John, we know that they did bring their children because there's a little boy there. There's, there could be up to fifteen to 20,000 people gathered on that hillside. It's a lot of people one way or the other. It's a lot of people. But there's a one word that we know about them, not just because all of them, all of those folks gathered there, all that's available are these five loaves and two fishes. It's the word barley. In the Gospel of John, it tells us they're barley loaves, which means that they weren't wheat loaves. Now, I don't know if you've eaten barley bread. It's just not as good as wheat bread. Whole wheat, white flour, whatever way you like it, it's not as good as barley Try it sometime. It kind of reminds me of injera bread. Has anybody ever been to Ethiopia? One. Me either. <laughs> but when I say the word Ethiopia, some images come to your mind. Likely, if you're, particularly if you're about my age or older, you remember these images. In the mid-80s, there was an extreme famine in Ethiopia, and we all gathered together and, and did um, some, some aid to... to, to rescue people who were desperately hungry you remember the pictures you remember the videos children who were so malnourished their stomachs were distended you remember the pictures of moms who who appear as just as if their skin and bones holding their babies and and it's like they don't even have enough energy to to swat the flies away that are buzzing around their babies' heads and if you go to ethiopia I got a chance to go a couple of years ago. If you get to go to Ethiopia, they're going to offer you injera bread, okay? Injera bread. Now, just remember this. I do not recommend it, okay? It does not taste good. It does not taste good. Will you agree with me on that? It does not taste good. It tastes like grass, actually. That's what it tastes like. It, it would be like, you know, in the summer when your grass starts to go to seed, if you have a healthy lawn, unlike mine, 
If you have a healthy lawn, your grass goes to seed. It would be like gathering all the seeds on the Bermuda or the fescue or the San Augustine and then grinding that into a paste and then to pouring it on a hot griddle like a hot cake or a flapjack. You can sort of picture this in your mind, right? And when you pour your batter on a, on a hot griddle, it bubbles up, right? It creates these little holes in your pancake and then you flip it over. Except in, in Ethiopia, they don't flip it over. They just let it bubble up and then they roll it up. They call it spongy bread. Ugh. I do not recommend it. Injera bread. Just say no thank you. Okay? But it's all they have, right? It's all they have. And so what they've done is they've, they've taken what they have and they've tried to make it into something useful for their families. Just what I would do. Just what you would do. Just, in fact, what you are doing. My my deepest heart's desire is to be that little boy in the Gospel of John. Maybe it's your deepest heart's desire today, too. To say, here, Jesus, take it. Take it. I know it's not worth much. Just take it and use it however you can. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Matthew fourteen seventeen. So you have the scripture. Now let me share a story with you. Sometimes when, when I'm introduced, Brother Lyle introduced me today, that people will say that I um, was a bivocational pastor, pastored a Canaan Baptist church in Crawford, Texas. And when people read that or hear that, sometimes a question forms in their mind uh, that they want to ask me. And so after a, a speaking engagement or, or preaching, sometimes people will say, hey, Dr. Dove, I understand that you were a pastor of uh, a church in Crawford, Texas. Like, yes, Canaan Baptist Church in Crawford, Texas. Um, Crawford, Texas. Yes, Crawford, Texas. <laughs> the Western White House, that Crawford? Yes, the very same one, that Crawford, Texas. I'm just wondering, then they'll say, did George Bush ever come to your church? And the answer is yes, he did. And that's the story I want to tell you this morning. The story actually begins on Tuesday, March 31st, 2009. Tuesday, March 31st, 2009. I don't know if you remember what you were doing Tuesday, March 31st, 2009. You're like, brother, I'm trying to remember what I did yesterday. On Tuesday, March 31st, 2009, I was watching my television set in my living room in Waco, Texas, live on ESPN from Madison Square Garden. The Baylor Bears were playing the San Diego State Aztecs in the semifinals of the Men's National Invitational Basketball Tournament. And I was fired up. So excited. Now, all of you basketball purists out there are like, Dub, you are awfully excited about something that doesn't matter much. You just told me that Baylor was in the final four of the NIT, and everybody knows that the real dance is the NCAA. The NIT, all they're trying to figure out is who's the 69th best team in the country. Okay. But if you'll remember, in the summer of 2003, one Baylor basketball player murdered another Baylor basketball player. And the head coach tried to cover it all up by saying the dead player was a drug dealer. It was the, the awful, most awful, darkest thing I've ever experienced in my life. And I was right in the middle of all of that. And it was terrible. And when Scott Drew, the head basketball coach at Baylor, came to Baylor in August of 2003, all of the players had left. We had released them from their scholarship. All but two had left the university. So we had two people on our team. And Scott Drew that fall went to the intramural basketball courts at Baylor and pulled people off the intramural basketball courts to play for Baylor that year. 
We won two games. We played high schools. You know what I'm saying? It was bad. And to go from that point, the lowest of the low in 2003, to the final four of the men's NIT in just six years was a huge accomplishment. So you can kind of understand why we were excited, right? Okay, so there we go. So I'm watching this on the TV. My uh, wife, Susie, was up in in, um, New York with the the team. She was in charge of the cheerleaders, so she had traveled up there. And she's texting us from the game saying, you guys got to come up here for the game. Baylor's winning at halftime. So I get online and I start checking for airline fares to go to, to New York City for the final game. But I didn't purchase my tickets because everybody knows if you buy a ticket before your team wins, you jinx them and they lose. The clock ticked down. The buzzer went off. Baylor won 76-62. Purchase. We're going to New York City. Well, the next day was Wednesday, April 1st, and then the game was actually on Thursday, April 2nd. So we got up Thursday, April 2nd, really early, because I'm cheap. Uh, This isn't in my bio, but it is nonetheless true. I'm cheap. I don't like to spend money. And it's cheaper if you fly early in the morning and you stop multiple times along the way. So Callie and I, our daughter, got up at something like 3 o'clock in the morning to drive to Dallas to fly to Houston to fly to New York because that's the cheapest way to do it. We get up there, catch up with the team there, you know, at Madison Square Garden. So much basketball history, so exciting. We're literally on the end line of the court cheering our team on. Baylor's playing Penn State in the championship. I mean, it was so, so exciting. And we lost 69-63. Bummer, yeah. The story would have been a little better if we'd have won, but we lost. And you know how it is in a tournament. You lose, you go home. So Friday morning comes and the team has to fly home and Susie's flying with the team, so she flies home. And just in case any of you out there are cheap, airline fares are cheaper if you stay over Friday night. Just a word to the wise. So Callie and I had an extra night in New York, which is fine because we had good dad-daughter time and went to see a Broadway show and got to see all the stuff. And so we returned home on, sun, on Saturday. I don't know what time our flight was. I know this. I know we pulled into our driveway about 1230 in the morning. Now it's Sunday, April 5th, 2009, which, by the way, was Palm Sunday. And we were exhausted from our week, you know, so we go in and crash. Wake up a few hours later and I say to Susie, my wife, I was like, babe, you're going to need to go ahead and go on to, to church because uh, my sermon's not quite ready and I need to do a little more work on it, and you and Callie go ahead and go on. Now, I know Lyle would never do this to you all. Never. Lyle, never. But my sermon, it was Sunday morning and my sermon wasn't done. You know, it was like half-baked. Half-baked sermons are not good sermons, you know. So anyway, so I stay there at the house. Callie and Susie go on to, to church. I finish up, finish up the sermon jump in the shower, get out of the shower, and on my phone is a voicemail, which is really weird because everybody knows where I am on Sunday morning. I'm in church, so nobody calls me. And I'm, I, So I listen immediately to the voicemail. It's our daughter, Callie. Now, I know most of you have not met Callie. She's, she's wonderful. She's beautiful. She's gracious. She's, I mean, super sweet. Love her. She's amazing. And she's also very loud, okay? Like, I don't think I've ever heard her whisper in her life. Like, for years, we'd be like, babe, Use your inside voice. And she'd say, what's that? That's not it. You know, that's not it. Never did get the inside voice, you know. So she's whispering and her voicemail says something like this. Dad, Dad, where are you? Dad, you need to get to church. Where are you? Click. Now that's odd. So I immediately call her back and she answers the phone whispering, Dad. I'm like, Callie, what are you whispering about? I've never heard you whisper. It's wonderful, but what are you doing? She's like, Dad, the secret service is here. I think you know what that means. 
click. <laughs> I did, in fact, know what the Secret Service is here meant. It meant that the 43rd president of the United States of America was coming to church. And so I got dressed just as fast as I could and I hop into the car and I drive out to Canaan and my conversation with the Lord goes something like this. Seriously? (laughs) Seriously, Lord? The president is coming today of all Sundays? Have you read that sermon? We have here five loaves of bread and two fish. That thing stinks. Fortunately for me, it was about a 45-minute drive out to Crawford from our house, and so I'm listening to praise music and getting, you know, calmed down. I meet the Secret Service agent. They're like, nice to meet you, nice to meet you. They're listening in their ear, and they're talking in their sleeves like Secret Service agents do. He's like, we'd like you to stand right here. I'm like, perfect, that's where I always stand. The eagle has left the gate. You know, they're like, oh, the eagle has left the gate, you know, which I guess means he's on his way, right? Now, if you've ever been to Crawford, you've probably seen Canaan Baptist Church. It's less than a mile from the entrance to the Bush Ranch. If you ever want to go to the Bush Ranch, just want you to know you cannot get in, <laughs> even though a lot of people try. Um, but, but Canaan is open. There's not even a lock on the church at Canaan. And so we had people literally from all over the world who were trying to get to the Bush Ranch or see the Bush Ranch who came to Canaan, people from New Zealand and Australia and France and Germany and the Netherlands and all over England and all of the United States, Alaska to Florida, New York, California. It was wild. People would come looking for the Bush Ranch and they'd find Canaan because the door was open. They said, you know, it'll be just a minute now. And it looks, I have to tell you, it looks pretty much like it looks on the TV and in the movies. All the dark SUVs sort of swoop into the parking lot. All the doors open at exactly the same time. They must have an open doors button, you know, that they all open. And about 30 seconds later, George W. Bush walks through the door and he says, good morning, Dove. How are you? And I said, I am fantastic. How are you? He said, we're blessed to be here. I thought, I hope you are. Oh, no, you are. And then Mrs. Bush came in and she said, Dove, thank you so much for having us. Oh, we're so glad you're here. And Jenna and Henry, who were newlyweds at the time, were there. There were cousins visiting from out of town. We had eight Secret Service agents. I mean, we had high attendance Sunday. You know what I'm saying? I'm visiting with the president before the service starts. And he says, I hear you're leaving Baylor to go be the president at East Texas Baptist University. I thought, how does he know that? He's got people. That's how he knows. Service starts. Our daughter Callie sang a special that day in church. It was really sweet. And I had a chance to, to preach as, as usual. After the service comes up, after service is over, um, President and Mrs. Bush come over to Callie and are really encouraging to her and thank her. And then he comes over and shakes my hand and he says, great sermon. So thank you, Mr. President. Now that's a great story, isn't it? But it's not the best part. That's not even the best part. So we leave there. We conclude our service. May 31st, 2009 was our last Sunday at Canaan and at Baylor. And we moved to East Texas Baptist University where I was serving as the president. And and I want to say to you that that we really sensed God's call on our lives at that point. Very much the way we have sensed God's call on our lives to union that he has asked us to come serve there. But it's a really difficult time at ETBU, a really challenging time. You remember what it was like in the economy in 2008, 2009, 2010. It was really difficult. The school was really struggling financially. We were having to make really tough decisions. And, and 
it was just really tough. And I want to I remind you of something. That when God calls you somewhere, He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He says He's going to be with you. Let me remind you of this. When God calls you somewhere to a place of service, He doesn't say, He doesn't promise it's going to be easy. He promises He will be with you. And it was tough. It was tough. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been to a place like I was at this time. Like I knew God had called us there. It was really clear. We were following His call, but it was just really tough. And, and I'm crying out to the Lord, Lord, help me know that I'm doing what You want me to do. You ever been there? Man, I was there. It was a lonely time too because Callie was a senior in high school and so Callie and Susie were living back in Waco. We're traveling back and forth, seeing each other about once a week. is really hard. I mean, I'm literally my face before the Lord by about October. I'm like, Lord, please, please. All I want to do is your will. All I want to do is what you want me to do. Could you please show me that I'm on the right track? Could you please give me some hint that I'm doing what you want me to do? You been there? Oh, man, I was there. I get, I get lots of emails, lots and lots of emails. I get, I get over 50 a day, over 1,500 a month, over 18,000 a year, lots and lots of email, and that's even with a really good filter. Lots and lots and lots of emails. Some of them are really sweet, you know. They, they read like this. Dear Dr. Dub, I just love you. You are the greatest thing since sliced bread. Sincerely, print. I want to save that one for later, you know. And then sometimes because I, because I make hard decisions, because I take unpopular stands, um, Lyle mentioned one earlier, last, another example is last fall I was really working hard on the Yes on One campaign trying to end abortion in our state and across the country. I'm very committed to, to that. So I'm doing some work and being public about it. And I'll get email, like hate mail, you know. And it reads more like this. Dear Dub, you are the biggest idiot that ever walked the planet. Delete. <laughs> okay. But a lot of emails, 50 a day, 1,500 a month, 18,000 a year. You know, be here, do this, turn this report in. What is, what's going on with this? I got an email on December 4th, 2009 at 9.04 a.m. that changed my life. And I'd like to share it with you. The subject line of the email is Sermon from Palm Sunday. And the email reads, Sir, I'm sorry to email you out of the blue. I work for former President George W. Bush as his personal aide and communications director. I had the pleasure of attending the Palm Sunday service with him at Canaan Baptist Church in Crawford. Your sermon that day about seeing yourself as God sees you, seeing your weaknesses as blessings rather than curses, and not hurting those you love with your weaknesses had a big impact on me and in particular has helped develop my relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I would love to have a copy of the sermon if you have one and would be willing to share it. If not, no big deal, but I thought I would check. I hope all is well at East Texas Baptist University. Sincerely, David Scherzer. Wow. Did you, did you hear that he remembered the points of that sermon? I didn't even remember the points of that sermon. Wow. I wrote him back. I was like, Dear David, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your note. Thanks for reaching out to me 
the way you did. And by the way, if some of you this morning are waiting on God for an answer, if you've, if you've begged him to show him something, show you something, just trust his timing. It's perfect. I told David, it's like your, your note came at the perfect timing. God is that way. Amen. And I found a copy of the sermon and I attached it. I said, here's a copy of the sermon from, from that Sunday. Glad it was meaningful to you then. I hope it's meaningful to you in this format as well. Again, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your reaching out to me in this way. All the best, Dub. And I sent that off. And I got an email back that I'd also like to share with you. It reads, Sir, many thanks for sending a copy of your sermon. I will treasure this. There's actually more to my story. I am Jewish. And when I went to the Palm Sunday service with President Bush, I remember telling him that I hadn't been to synagogue in a while and I needed some spirituality. Inside, I'd actually been struggling for a while with my relationship with God and how to draw closer to Him. Your sermon really touched my heart and helped spark my curiosity in reading the New Testament. I read it this summer and could not put it down and in August accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Amen. The peace and joy I'm experiencing now is unlike anything I've ever felt and I now know that knowing Jesus is what was missing in my relationship with God previously. I don't want to leave the impression that it was just your sermon that brought me to Christ. I'm surrounded by many incredible Christian influences, including President Bush and my wonderful fiance Amanda, but it did have a major impact on me. Just thought you'd like to know. Blessings, David. It's still just so overwhelming. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Matthew fourteen seventeen. So you have the scripture. And I've shared a story with you. So that just leaves the question. You've probably already figured it out. But the question is this. Will you offer what you have? Will you offer what you have? Even if you think it's not worth much. Will you offer what you have to Jesus? And let him take it. And bless it. And multiply it. And use it in ways that you cannot even imagine or fathom. I believe, I believe that Jesus is saying the exact same thing to every person gathered in this room this morning that he said to his disciples there on that hillside 2,000 years ago. It's recorded in verse 18. Jesus said, bring what you have here to me. Bring what you have here to me. Hear Jesus say it to you. Bring what you have. Here to me. The question is, will you? Let's pray together. Jesus, we do love you. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do in our lives, Jesus. Jesus, you know our hearts, you know our lives, you know everything about us. And so, Jesus, you know that there are times when we withhold things because we think they're not worth much. So, Jesus, we confess. Lord Jesus, I confess that I don't want to live that way. 
I want to give it all to you, Jesus, and let you take it and bless it and multiply it and use it, Lord. Use it in ways that I don't understand, I can't comprehend, Lord, for your glory, for the glory of our Father in heaven. Jesus, give us the power of your Spirit that we might indeed give everything we have to you. This is our prayer in your powerful and holy name. Amen.